And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me invite you to the book of Acts this morning. Would you look there with me, please? Acts chapter number 10. Welcome to East Point. It's good to have all of our guests with us today. Uh, some that are traveling today from our church and then to our church. We appreciate that. Glad that you guys are here. We have been in a series known as The Helper. It is a series on the Holy Spirit. That's the word that is used for the Holy Spirit in the scriptures that God would give to us a helper. I'd like to uh, talk with you a little bit today concerning the reassuring work of the Holy Spirit. Now let me remind you a little bit of what we've been talking about, okay? We dealt first of all with the recognition of the Holy Spirit. Refresh your memory a little bit. We talked about how he is God, the, th the third person of the Godhead. We talked about the ratifying work of the Holy Spirit. That is, we, we called that one the glorifier. Do you remember that? Two, two of you do? That's good. Uh, <laughs> the glorifier. And uh, that, of course, his primary work is to exalt Jesus and to glorify Jesus. And then we dealt with the redemptive work. Uh, just last week and we talked about how he works to regenerate that spirit in us that had died because of sin and he gives to us new life. Now that is a very important thing to remember today because he cannot reassure you of your salvation if you haven't been saved. And in this first point today you're going to miss it all together if you don't have your spirit that has been regenerated. So we're going to deal with all that in just a moment. Before we do, I'm going to invite you to this text here in Acts chapter 10. We're going to take a, a quick look here. Uh, this passage of scripture, just to give you a little bit of background, Peter has been praying, spending time with the Lord. God has spoken to him. He's about to lead him to go over and witness to a Gentile. Peter, that was a no-no among the Jewish people. And so God has given him some peace. And the Spirit of God does something and says something to Peter, I want you to see today, okay? So I want you to see it first off in Acts chapter 10 and verse number 19 is where we'll begin. If you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. If you're not, say, wait a minute. All right. Oh, you're there. Okay, I got you now. All right. At least on the board, huh? All right, uh, verse 19. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him. Now notice that. The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Spirit of God says to Peter, Peter, I want you to doubt nothing. Now this has to do with simply going to the Gentiles, but later Peter uh, recaps this. Peter uh, rehearses what he's going to tell people, and so he then uh, gives account of this down in chapter 11 and verse 12. He repeats it and uses the same phrase. So look at that with me, verse 12 of chapter 11. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Now, our lesson today is not so much about Peter reaching out to the Gentiles. That's not the point. The point is that the Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does, He gives us assurance, not only about direction in our life, but where we're going when this life is over. Is it true that people can actually know that they're saved? I run into people every now and then, and maybe you have too, and maybe there are some seated here among us today who believe this. They say this. I just don't think anybody can really know. 
I've had a lot of people over the years say to me when I've asked them, hey, uh, if you were to die today, where would you go? And they would say something like, well, I hope that I would go to heaven. Or, you know, I think I will go to heaven. So I want to say this to you. Salvation is not a hope so, maybe so. It is a no so. You can know. And the Bible says you can know. So one of the things that, that we have to focus on today and we're going to look at today is how the Holy Spirit helps us with this. To know, to be assured concerning this salvation that we have. We're not supposed to be worrying and doubting. It is something that we do struggle with. Am I right? All right, five of us. That's good. All right. Some of you have seen this sign before, but let me show it to you again. On a church. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> Pastor T actually wanted to put that on our sign out front. I said, no, don't do that. Don't do that. But, uh, so, the, so the Holy Spirit works with us to remove us from our doubts and fears to give us assurances. The songwriter said it, and you're familiar with the verse, uh, no doubt out of amazing grace, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved." How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. So yes, the Holy Spirit convinces us of sin and of the condemnation that comes with that. But he also relieves us of, of that uh, worry and fret. And you can know. The Bible tells us we can know. And so as we get into this today, I hope that it'll be a blessing to you. I want to read to you a quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, I enjoy reading C.S. Lewis. If you are, uh, if you kind of have a philosophical leaning in your reading, you would enjoy uh, C.S. Lewis. He's an apologist. Now by apologist we mean uh, he doesn't make apology, but rather he defends the faith. And he does so in a beautiful way, a well-known author. And so he made this statement. He said, faith in the sense in which I am using the word here is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Did you catch that? That is why faith, he said, is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist. What he's saying is, you can't base your faith on your moods. So you have to have an assurance that goes beyond that. And yes, I believe in feeling. Don't misunderstand that. I made a statement a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, that, that I said the only thing that doesn't feel is that which is dead. And so I do believe God's people ought to have some feeling about them. I believe that. But you can't base your state with God on your feeling. You might wake up in the morning and not feel saved. So you have to have the assurance of the Holy Spirit that reminds you you've done what the Word of God says to do. Now there are three means that the Holy Spirit uses to help us with this. And that's going to be the direction we travel in. So just before we launch into those three things, would you pray with me? Let's do that. Father, we come to you today and we do want to thank you, Lord, for what our hearts have already felt. And God, we ask you today to give us ears to hear the message you'd have us to hear. Minds to comprehend that message. And Lord, I pray for the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know he leads us to focus on Jesus. And today as we talk about uh, eternal security and we talk about knowing that we know, I pray God you'd use this in a mighty way, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would be both personal and powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
Amen. All right, so the first thing we're going to look at, the first means he used, we're going to call the witness which satisfies us, okay? The witness which satisfies us. Now for this one, I want you to go to the book of Romans with me, or you can uh, go there by way of the PowerPoint. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. We're going to do a little skipping around here for a minute, so bear with me. I want you to see some of what the Word of God says. So Romans chapter 8, verse number 9, and then we're going to skip down to verse 14. So let's look at verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, now pause a moment. Remember that when you trust Christ as your Savior, when you have been born of the Spirit, that's the phrase Jesus used over in John chapter 3, when your spirit has been regenerated, when you have asked Jesus to be your Savior and He has given to you eternal life, the Spirit of God indwells you. Can I get an aha? Uh -huh? All right. He indwells you. So if you have the Spirit of God in you, the Bible says, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now let's skip down to verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we could say, rightfully so, these are the children of God, is what he's saying. You belong to the family of God if you are being led by the Spirit of God. For you did not receive, verse 15 says, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So, all right, so, so here's what the Bible says. You have a witness, and the witness is within you. Matter of fact, we could say there are two things about this witness that we need to make note of. One is, He is internal, and the other is, He is eternal. Amen. He lives within us, and the Bible says He will abide with us for how long? Forever. Jesus said, I give to you that helper, that helper, I give to you that comforter, I give to you the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, and he will abide with you forever. So this internal witness, what does the word witness mean? It means one who testifies. I heard a story this past week about a group of ladies that lived in an apartment building and they were upset with one another and they actually took it all to court and there were several of them and they were just going at each other and the judge in a very Solomon-like manner said to them, now ladies, listen, I want to hear all of your testimonies. Let's start with the oldest. <laughs> the case was dismissed for lack of testimony is what happened. A witness is somebody who testifies, gives an account of. And the Bible says he bears witness, now notice this, with our spirit. Now, now hold on to, your, to your, 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 your seat for a moment in regard to this. So uh, how does he bear witness? With our spirit. If the spirit hasn't been regenerated or made alive, he cannot bear witness with it. This is one of the reasons why most of us, when somebody asks you, how do you know you're saved? And you look at and you just kind of say, I just know that I am. Well, that doesn't work for a lost person. It doesn't make any sense. Because their spirit has not been regenerated. They don't have that witness. Now, here's another thing. 
When we talk about the spirit of man, we are talking about that part of man. Remember we said man was triune. In an earlier message, we talked about body, soul, and spirit. The body is the physical and the soul is the intellectual. And then the spirit is the life within them that God has given to them. And that part was born dead, if you will, because of the sin of Adam. We inherited that. And the Holy Spirit has to regenerate that, make it alive again. So here's part of the problem. We're not talking about in the head. We're not talking about just knowing a head knowledge or saying, well, I think I'm right with God. We're talking about a witness to the Spirit. Today in our society, being uh, so politically correct in so many areas, you have people wanting to identify as certain things. You have people who say, well, uh, he identifies as a she, and so that makes her that. I, I found this the, uh, the other day. Some of you may have seen it. This is a man who identifies as a five-year-old who crushes a game-winning home run in a t-ball championship. <laughs> It doesn't work that way. Can I get an amen? amen. Uh, you can send me an email later, but right now, amen it, okay? <laughs> he identified. We're not talking about identifying. We're talking about witnessing. The witness of the Holy Spirit of God with our spirit. And yes, you do come away from that and say, you know, it's difficult for me to explain. I just know. Because the Spirit of God is bearing witness with my spirit. If you don't have that witness... You need to stop and ask yourself if you've ever been born again. Because we're not talking about religion. We're talking about relationship. You say, well, I've been to church all this time. I've done this. It doesn't matter. Have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? If you have, you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And He is a witness to us and for us. And that's important for us to remember. I'm going to jump over to 1 John chapter 5 with you for a moment. So look there with me. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse number 9. I'm probably going to sh uh, stop just short of a main verse, but I'll come back to it. So bear with me. 1 John chapter 5 verse number 9. Again, we're talking about the witness that we have in the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God, notice this statement, has the witness in himself. So the Holy Spirit that lives in us, that's the witness. And if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have that witness within you who testifies of your being a child of God. So it goes on. He says he has a witness within himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life and he who does not have the son of God does not have life and so let me just clarify one more time uh, that that God does not have some kind of large scales up there in heaven that all of your good works are put on one side and all of your bad on the other side and if your good outweighs your bad then you get allowed into heaven the Bible says you either have the son or you don't have the son if you've got the son then you've got eternal life if you don't have Jesus you don't have eternal life. You say, but I'm a good person. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> but you may be a good person on your way to the lake of fire. Because being good's not how we get there. Right. Amen? Amen? 
So we have this witness. We have this witness. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. Perhaps uh, a text that many of you, your mind goes to when you hear that word uh, eternal or that phrase eternal security. When we talk about eternal security, what are we talking about? We're talking about once saved, always saved. I had a terrible joke to share with you that I, I'm just, I'm hesitant to do because you're just going to, you won't laugh at it. So I'm not going to share it. I'm just, well, okay. You heard about the man, you know, that he got tired of shaving and, and, and he went down to the barber and he said to the barber, he said, I'm going to pay for my shaves from now on. And so he said, no problem. He said, my wife's right over here. Her name is Grace and she'll shave you. And so it's $20 though for a shave. Well, he couldn't believe how much it cost to, to be shaved. But nonetheless, she, she shaved him and, and he left. And, and the next day he looked and, and boy, he didn't need another one. And the next day, same thing. Matter of fact, two weeks passed by and he didn't need to shave at all. And so he went back to the barber and he said, Sir, he said, I got to tell you, I was a little bit put out by the $20 you, you, uh, you charged for a shave. But man, I'm telling you, she did a great job. And, and it's just unbelievable. I still don't need to shave. And it's been a couple of weeks. And he said, Well, you know, when, when you're shaved by grace, you're always shaved. <laughs> I warned you. If you're... <laughs> If, if you're a guest here today, they don't get better, so forget it. Just forget it. But I do accept uh, people sending me suggestions for jokes if you want to help me out a little bit. Once shaved, always shaved. Well, anyway, Romans chapter 8, verse 35. That was very unspiritual. Uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, Paul said. Who shall separate us? When you, when you think about God's love for you, who can separate you? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul said, I love this. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, nor created thing can separate us or shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. How did he get persuaded? Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to persuade, to convince Secondly, let's look at the second means that God will use, and that is his word which secures us. So he has, we have a witness, but we also have his word. Now the witness is that internal God who dwells in us, the Holy Spirit. Now we have the word of God which helps us and secures us. Now let me pick up where I left off reading earlier in 1 John chapter 5. We'll read verse 13. It's a verse many of you have probably committed to memory. And it says this. These things I have written to you. Now keep that in mind. He's saying the reason why I'm writing this. The reason why you have that writing. The reason you have the word of God. These things I have written to you. Who believe in the name of the son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know that you have eternal life. You say, well preacher, I just, I'm not convinced that you can really know for sure. 
But the Bible says you can. Yes. Amen. The Bible says you can. Yes. What else does the Bible say? Peter is describing a time that he spent with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he talks about having heard audibly God speak. And yet in Peter's testimony found in 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning in verse 16. In Peter's own testimony he said there's more credibility if you'll allow me to say it that way. I, I, I understand better. It, it is a more sure thing what we have written down than what I have heard. And the word of God written out for us is more certain than that which somebody might hear audibly. The Bible records first, let me read it to you, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we, uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. What he's saying is we, we now have the word of God in a confirmed manner. And the, the written, how do I know he's talking about the written word? Well, keep reading. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Someone here today may say, but now preacher, that book you're talking about, it was written by man. Yes, but man was used as an instrument in the hand of God who inspired it or breathed it. Amen. And this is what God has said, this book is different than any other book you'll ever find. It lays claim to being the very word of God inspired by God breathed it and here we read from Peter that that even better than audibly hearing God speak we have the written word of God in which it is confirmed as to what God has said and it was given to us by the Holy Spirit in John chapter 17 let me show this passage to you and I'll move on we again have his word and in John 17, we have a text in which records for us the prayer of the Lord Jesus. I'm hesitant to call it the Lord's Prayer because many of us would immediately think we would begin quoting our Father who art in heaven. But it is the Lord's Prayer. Not that prayer, the example prayer, but an actual prayer that is recorded for us that Jesus prays. He is about to be crucified. He's about to go on to be with his father. And he prays this prayer beginning, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11 of John 17. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now who's he talking about? Judas. Judas. Verse 13. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray, now catch this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now notice verse 20. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You know who that is? That's us, man. That's us. Jesus said, I'm going to pray right now, Father, not only for these that you have given me that are around me right now, I have kept them. And when I leave here, I'm asking you, Father, you keep them. You keep them. And then he said, I'm not praying only for these, Lord, but all of those that will come after them that will believe on us because of the word that they share. And what Jesus has said is, he's going to keep you. We have his word on this. I'm going to get more into this in the last point with you, but let me just remind you of something. You didn't do anything to be saved except ask Jesus to be your savior. You can't do anything to keep yourself saved. He's the one that has to do the keeping. And he does the keeping. There's more involved, and let me go into this next point with you. Don't get too excited because I'm already on point three and I only have three points. Because <laughs> there's a lot more to this third point, all right? I'm just warning you. <laughs> Number three, his warranty which seals us. His warranty which seals us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've never been really good at, at having... Uh, good experiences with warranties. Have you? How many of you had a bad experience with warranties? Okay. I, I had a warranty once on a house. I, I, I just, I couldn't believe. My AC went out and, and I just knew it was covered. And they said to me, yes sir, it's covered. But it was almost like they were saying, it's covered on the third Thursday of the winter months if the heat goes, I mean, if the AC is not working and it's 30 degrees below zero, it happens to be on that day. Yes, sir, we know you live in Florida. You, you say, what are you saying? I, I'm saying that it's never been something that actually, there's always been something, it seems, in the warranty that doesn't work to get you whatever it is that you're after. It's not that way with God. It is not that way with God. When God says he saves you and he keeps you, he does exactly that. Amen. He does exactly that. And the scripture tells us in so many places, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, look at it with me. In him, talking about in Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, to put all that in simple terms, here's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit assures us, he reassures us through his word which says, he is our guarantee. He seals us. Now the word sealing here, and some of you have been under my ministry earlier uh, 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 since I've been here, you've been here, you're not, you're not just a first-time guest and you've heard this before, but bear with me, that this is the type of sealing that forms a protection and a preservation. It's the kind of sealing that is done uh, when you uh, can 
Uh, say, say you've poured a, a bunch of hot fruit into a jar and, and you pour that wax seal on there and, you, and you, can, you seal it up and you put it away. And then you bring that thing out later on. Could be years later. You bring that thing out and you undo it and you tap that wax seal. And though that fruit in there is just as fresh as it was when you first poured it in. It's a remarkable thing, this sealing. What the Bible is saying is this, that the Holy Spirit guarantees you that the moment that you trusted Christ as your Savior, He put His seal on you. There's more to the meaning of the word, but He put His seal on you to preserve you and protect you. And yes, you probably do things you shouldn't do. Look at your neighbor and say, He's talking about you. Go ahead. <laughs> you, you, pro <laughs> you probably do things you shouldn't do. But God knew about it, man. He knew about all of it. When he saved your soul, he saved you from your past sin, your present sin, and all of your future sin. He saved you from all of that. And he preserved you until the very day he comes to pick you up. You are as freshly saved today as you were that very moment you trusted Christ as your Savior. The other thing we think about when it comes to a seal, you may have seen on an envelope or on a, an old scroll, you would see a wax seal. They'd pour wax on it and they'd stamp it. And it has to do with authenticity, ownership. What it means is God has put his stamp on you and you belong to him. Amen. You belong to him. So important that we keep all of this in focus. He has sealed us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 19 through 22. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanius and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee as a guarantee John chapter 10 and verse 27 this is one of my favorite passages of scripture in relation to this thought Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life they shall never perish. Now let me pause a moment. If you're here today and you're doubting eternal security, can I ask you to define something for me? Don't answer it out loud, but you can talk to me after the service is over. I'd like to hear it. I'd like to hear a definition for the word eternal that is anything other than eternal. Can ever there be a temporary eternal? Seems to me like that's impossible. Can there only be a, a probational eternal? Well, then it wouldn't be eternal. It'd be probational. So if he gives to us eternal life, then he has given to us eternal life. You say, yes, but what if you have to earn it over a period of time and he doesn't give it yet? Then you misunderstood a verse we read earlier. Either you have the son or you don't. You misunderstand another passage we read earlier. Those who have the spirit of God are saved and those who do not have him are none of his. So you either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. There is no, you do this, 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 and this, and then I'll give him to you. It doesn't work that way with God. Neither shall any snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I'm going to close with this thought. In just a minute, I'm going to give you just a recap. But first, I want you to picture something for me.
Just a, a little piece of paper here in my hand. You might not even be able to see it from where you're at. And I'm going to put it in this palm and I'm going to seal it up tightly in, in my fist. Now I'm going to wrap my other hand around it. And I would say that uh, there are some men in this room, maybe even some ladies, <laughs> that are strong enough to come up here and pull that out of my hand. You'd pry my hands all apart and you'd be able to, but you'd have to be stronger than me to do it. Am I right? So you got to be stronger than Jesus to get out of his hand. Somebody said, well, you can get out yourself. That little piece of paper cannot do it. Right? But it's more than that. Now, if I were to invite Pastor D to come up and put his hands around mine, I'd say probably not near one of you could then get it out. <laughs> you say, what are you saying? Jesus said, I've placed you here in my hand. Nobody can snatch you out. And my Father who gave you to me is greater than all. No man's able. You are doubly sealed by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Father. And there you are protected by him. Once saved, always saved. I hope that you leave today without worries and fears. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, you can know him. It's not a complicated thing. We're not talking about church membership. We're not talking about labels of any kind other than, are you a child of God? Have you asked Jesus to be your Savior? If you've done that, then rest in his ability to make good on what he said. In concluding, it's real simple. You want to live a worry-free life, a doubt-free, a doubting-nothing kind of life? Accept his way, that is the way of salvation. Jesus Christ is the only way. Accept his witness, the Holy Spirit, internal and eternal. Accept the word of God. It is very plain. He keeps us and accept his warranty. He is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. Make no mistake about it. He makes good on his promises. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today and we ask you, Lord, to take this invitation time and make it yours. God, I pray today if there's a person here that hasn't trusted you as their Savior, that today they would do so. Lord, if there's a person that's maybe been caught up in religion but doesn't have the Son, Lord, I pray they'd realize that today and they'd come to know you. And Lord, if there are others here today who have already done what your word said do, but they have doubted and they've been insecure in their faith, I pray God today they would leave with great confidence. Confidence not in us, but confidence in you. Lord, I pray they'd listen to the power of the Holy Spirit who bears witness with their spirit. God, I pray that you give your people rest. Rest from worry and fears and doubts. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you have a need you'd like to pray about today, or maybe somebody you just want to pray for, we want to invite you to come and pray. And we call this an invitation time because we are inviting everybody and anybody who would like to spend a little time with the Lord at the altar to just pray. But if you're here today and you've not asked Jesus to be your Savior and you want more information on that, you come and let us know. I'm down front. Be happy to talk with you a moment. We have some counselors. Counselors, be ready, would you please? You come and you be ready. 
If you're here and you want to know more about how to be saved, how to be born again, let us show you. If you're here and you just want to thank God for reassuring you that you are His, would you just praise Him today as the Lord leads? We're not going to approach you at the altar unless you ask us to pray with you. So you feel free to come as the Lord leads. Would you stand with me please? May God bless you. <laughs>